am so proud of you, Harry. I can't believe you're on the right link. Hello. Test, test. Can you hear? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Uh -huh. um, so Dr. J said that uh, earlier this morning, she said she was kind of stuck at JFK because of all those American Airlines cancellations. But she uh, said, um, you know, she should be able to make make the time and she'd let me know if she she couldn't and she hasn't said anything. So I think we're go. OK, sounds good. Um, you can tell Biscuit is her usual high energy self. <laughs> um, so I wanted uh, I was just looking over the uh, the weekly uh, Nielsen Tuesday morning report. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they do the four weeks. Yeah. You know, not, nothing surprising, um, but if you, you know, for convenience and grocery together for the four weeks ending October 23rd, it's amazing to me how much Constellation is driving yeah. Oh, yeah. all of the growth in the beer industry. Basically, Constellation and uh, Boston beer. Yeah. If you look at the numbers in the latest four weeks, Molson Coors and AB have both lost around a share point each. And Constellation and Boston Beer have each gained about a share point apiece. <laughs> and can you imagine what it would look like for Constellation if they actually had enough supply? I, I, exactly. I mean, that is a that's just a one for one. And then everybody else is down or flat. You know, yeah. it's um, mostly down. And uh, hold on, let me let Jordan in. I'm I'm guessing that's what that ding ding yeah. ding was. Okay. So, uh, hey, Jordan, we're just talking about the Nielsen uh, scan data. And um, yeah, we're just talking about how, you know, this Constellation Boston basically are taking share from Molson Coors and AB on almost a one-to-one -one basis in the latest four weeks. Paps down double bid digits, Heineken down mid singles, um, Diageo up a little, Mark Anthony down 8%. Fifco down 5%, blah, 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 blah. Then you go to get down to the brand level. Of course, Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, all down, you know, between 7 and 10%. Uh, this is volume. You know, sub-premium, all down double digits, except for Bush, it's down 5%. Um, Kraft, down double digits again, except for New Belgium, up 4%. And Sam Adams, up 9.3%. S Ciders mostly uh, all down except for Two Towns Cider House. Twisted Tea up 25%. Largest FMB now. Yeah. So basically, Mexican import and FMBs and uh, everything else is uh, taking a bath. It's like I say, Harry, you see, everything that's growing is growing. Is that, is that what's happening there, Jen? <laughs> Uh, I don't well, know. I maybe should of. run it by our, our data analysts. Let's do, what do you think? There's still brands that aren't growing percent change that are growing dollar share. Growing share, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, if your dollars are down less than 10%, or so, you know, yeah. then you're mm -hmm. growing share, or maybe not 10%, probably 4%, 5%. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, volume's down 8%, dollars down 4 Pretty much all year, it's dollars are down about half of what volumes are down thanks to trading up and price increases. And I, and I have, you know, the prices are just now starting to really inch up uh, between 50 cents and a dollar a case and is showing up in scan data. In other words, some of that might be reduced discounting. 
Um, somebody, some of it might just be price uh, increases. I, I suspect at this point, a lot of it is reduced discounting. I, I have, I did read in the journal that, uh, or somewhere, Bloomberg, that uh, a lot of grocery chains are telling suppliers, hey, maybe let's not do these promos since you yeah. can't fill the shelves. Yeah. Make, maybe yeah. don't promote against empty shelves. I don't know. You know, that, that, that's an old line from uh, this guy named, uh, I can't remember his first name, but it was Bolin. He used to be the CEO of Miller Brewing Company for a short time. Old timers will remember this, Bolin, right before Norman Atomy. And I remember him screaming and yelling from the stage. You could see how well Miller was doing at this point. Okay. This was pre-2005. And he was, they were just losing share hand over fist. And he was like, I will not promote against empty shelves. I won't do it. We spent $50 million on Miller Clear and I can't find it anywhere on the shelf. And it, what he, nobody told him is that the product sucked. <laughs> and the reason it wasn't on the shelves is because nobody would buy it. Kind of like what would have happened if two hats came to market? <laughs> well, anyway, that was um, promoting against empty shelves is a bad idea. But the problem is, here's the deal is that especially at these big brewers, these marketers are trained from the time they hit Columbia that we must market we are marketers and the sales guys are the same way. We are sales guys. We make, we put packages together, promos and, and, and promotions and activations. That's what we do. So we do it right. Preacher's going to preach. Haters going to hate marketers going to market and yeah. salespeople are going to sell. And so they're still out there doing those things that they've always done, but nobody, but everybody's kind of going, right. we, we don't have anything to sell. Stop. We Jack should have Owsley on, Greg Owsley on, because to your point, Harry, marketers continue to market, but marketing works so differently now. Like you can't just, well, I'm sure there would be a lot who begged to differ with me, but the days of like the blockbuster ad selling a ton of beer, I don't think it works quite that way anymore, right? Like no. you can't just push market anything. It has to be a little more organic than that. So maybe we get somebody like Greg on to talk about that dynamic. Greg, we, I don't know why we haven't had Greg on. He would no, be a great guest. Busy. That's well, why. we, you know, he need if he's the one that's busy, then he needs to make time. We've we're, been busy. We're not busy. Oh, okay. No, no, Does not busy, look busy. Does Biscuit look busy to you? We have capacity right here. This is a full-time employee who's just laying here. Capacity. We have capacity. Now that's a good point, but uh, but you know they haven't been marketing. Uh, they they have slowed. I mean, I, I was looking at Coke. They cut their they they normally spill. They normally spend four billion in marketing a year, mm -hmm. and last year they only spent about two billion. Mm -hmm. um, that goes straight to the bottom line, and the breweries are no different. I'm sure their marketing dollars are way down, um, and they're creeping back up as sports come back. But right. um, oh my gosh. There's somebody knocking at the door. Let's let our special guest in. Is this Dr. J. Jackson Beckham? Hi, this is. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Hello, Dr. J. How are you? I'm doing all right. We're, now, I thought you'd be at an airport or something, I was told. Uh, yeah, I, I literally just got home about 20 minutes ago. So. Well, thank you for making uh, time with us. Uh, my name is Harry Shoemaker. This is BeerNet Radio. Congratulations, you've made it to the top. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, uh, sort of face-to-face, -face, Harry. Yeah. I'm joined here by editors Jen Litzkirk and Jordan Driggers. And we're delighted, of course, this is Dr. J. Jackson Beckham, PhD. And Dr. J., uh, this is the first time we met, right? Yeah, uh, uh, if you don't count Twitter. <laughs> okay, and so that's my first question. Why am I blocked on your Twitter? What, what oh stupid God. shit did I say? You're actually not blocked. I deleted my Twitter. Oh. Yeah, I deleted This is my such Twitter. good news. <laughs> I deleted my Twitter at the beginning of the year. I was just... So I, I've been just um, having anxiety for weeks because of yeah, nothing no. because, because of i nothing. have been blocked by many many solid people on twitter for, <laughs> um and it's it's usually things i just say that i i don't i'm not even you know whatever it doesn't matter yeah. but uh, no, thank you no blocking i i'm uh i'm officially off okay well great well thank you uh, dr j is uh an expert in inclusion and now you have started your own consultancy uh, you also do work with the Brewers Association on inclusion and, you know, kind of something that the industry needs. <laughs> and yeah. so talk to us, uh, first of all, about how you got in interested in beer in the first place and uh, what what uh, drove you over here. Gosh, um, so maybe maybe I'll ask you to refine a little bit, like what got me interested as a consumer, just as a fan, or what got me interested in like maybe doing some work in the industry? Not consumer, but more as um, so. What what was your PhD thesis on? Would, yeah, that so it was a, it was about beer. So I I I guess right around the time when I was um, starting my my PhD doctoral work, I was kind of um, you know all the way in as a consumer and was actually um, managing a homebrew shop. It was kind of like what I did for for gas money, you know, during grad school. Uh, and, you know, had been planning some, some events, um, helped plan this event called Homebrew for Hunger. It was kind of a like homebrew festival slash um, beer fest that, you know, we donated money to the food bank. And, you know, I was investing a lot of like hobby time, I guess, um, into, uh, into my beer habit. And I was also in grad school kind of about to devote, you know, this weird amount of time to writing uh, writing a doctoral dissertation and it just kind of struck me that I was like, you know, what? I don't want to do like two entirely separate things anymore. So, um, so I'm going to do the academic work about, uh, about the brewing industry. So this was, uh, right around 2008. So, you know, it's the kind of height of the financial crisis. And what I realized is that the, the brewing industry was like, not acting right, if that makes sense. Like, um, you know, if you look at what, what was happening in the, in the American economy writ large, craft beer was kind of doing the opposite thing. We were rapidly adding firms back then. So that's like, you know, double digit growth at that time. And uh, volumes were going up, people are drinking more beer and they're paying more for it. Um, now we do, you know, historically see a bit of a spike in alcohol consumption during, you know, bad times, but this was kind of sustained and, um, you know, for me, the question was like, you know, if, if the industry is not following these like strict economic rules of supply and demand, like what is going on, right? Um, and so that was kind of the central question. And, you know, the 
the hypothesis for me was that, you know, culture is happening and that in the craft beer space, like culture is essentially important and um, carries a lot of value. So whether it's like the ethos of being like non-corporate or whether it's, uh, you know, some sort of kind of cultural capital you earn from sustainability or from local or from independent or whatever, right? Any of those things. Uh, so, you know, that was the, the main premise, but, you know, you, you stick your toe in questions of culture about, um, about the industries, but in particularly the craft segment, um, you know, you inevitably come up against identity and, and people. And of course, being who I was and kind of, you know, having been hanging around the scene for at that time, you know, almost a decade um, and not seeing a good deal of people who look like me, you know, um, what? The, I'm yeah, shocked. I know, shock, shock. So, um, I mean, it, it seems like at that time, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, that yeah. a lot of craft drinker, drinkers <laughs> were also like, they liked Mumford and Sons and like, <laughs> and like, um, like steampunk. And that was not is steampunk. Is that the right word, Jordan? Yeah, I don't know. The I right mean, old were... tricycles and shit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just seems like, you know, the, uh, the the black people I know are just too cool for that. And well, I think a lot of I mean when I talk to people, like I was just like, yeah, I'm going to this, you know, craft beer festival or I'm going to whatever. I remember I you know, probably around 2009, I, I flew up to Boston for Extreme Beer Fest and was like, all of my friends were like, You're doing what? You know, and I was like, I'm you know, and they're like, you might as well go sailing. In, in Boston of all places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I was just like, uh but you know, I, like I got out of your comfort story, zone. That's it's kind of brave, you know. Uh, and uh, I always tell people I'm kind of like everybody else. Like I, I got hooked, like really hard, right? Like when I, when I got hooked, I got hooked. Um, and either through bravery or stupidity, right? Like I just kind of was like, well, I'm just gonna be here and and deal with whatever comes with that, right? Hey, Dr. J, it's Jen. I'm curious, what was the brewery that got you hooked before you started working at the homebrew shop? Oh my gosh. So um, I don't know that it's a single brewery, right? I've, you know, I've told, told this story before, but I, I've worked in like a, a like rowdy college beer, beer bar uh, yeah. when I was an undergrad. Um, this was like in the late nineties in the like mountains of South, Southwest Virginia. And, you know, we got a shifty when we closed up at the end of the night. And like, you know, rules of the shifty, like whatever, you can have whatever's on draft, right? And like always I'd be like, Jay, what do you want? And my answer was always like, I want the most expensive thing we have on draft. You know? <laughs> Smart. And that was like, that's all, you know, so I tasted around, but I think at that time we were drinking like a ton of like UFO and like a beta turbo dog mm -hmm. and like, uh, oh, Saranac, Saranac black tan, uh, Magic you know, hat. So magic hat, yeah, the number nine. Yeah, number you know nine. exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, it was that era. Yeah, um, space dust. So you got into craft as a consumer. You got into it intellectually as well. So what? Uh, when did you get into it more professionally? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, so I was teaching, um, you know, as a college professor for a while. And, uh, you know, my as an academic, you kind of present your research. It's like part of the job. and you know, what I was realizing is that like I was presenting all this stuff about beer and kind of like academic conferences where everybody just looked at me like I was an alien, um, but like found a little bit of like crossover with like some early um, 
like early beer media podcasts. I remember like 2012, um, Colin and Sire, the guys over at Hen House had me on like a podcast that they had for a little while. Um, you know, and I was, I was, I did my doctoral work at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I was like, kind of a constant fixture around, I lived in Durham and I was like, you know, all about beer was right there. Um, yeah, you know, Daniel was, Bradford, an yeah. old colleague. Uh, uh, that's a, and that's a beer town there. really, right? I mean. Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, so I think just from like connections I had been making and I, I was doing a lot of field, field research. I mean, there's a chapter in my dissertation about full steam in Durham, you know, so I knew Sean and uh, knew a bunch of those guys. Um, the World Beer Fest, you know, hooked up with Hammer and those guys to just work the crew. So I just kind of was leaking into that scene. And I think the big turning point was um, I was invited to, to give a talk, a plenary talk at the North Carolina uh, Craft Brewers Conference. Uh, one year, I think it's maybe 2016 or so. And uh, Julia Hertz was there, and I think the BA had kind of just started uh, working on the diversity committee. I guess this would have been 2007 then, or 17, sorry. And I think, that, you know, it just kind of connected them very quickly after that. The BA was like, hey, we're, gonna, we're looking for an, a diversity ambassador. And as a, as a faculty person, as a professor, you know, faculty consulting is something a lot of us do. Um, you know, I'm in communication and cultural studies, and a lot of my colleagues advise, like, political campaigns, you know, so um, personally, I think it's way cooler to advise a brewing trade association than a political campaign. You think? Yeah. And, and, and wasn't that around the time Triumph the Insult Dog went to the Great American Beer Festival and, and just, and, and just kind of ripped on how white it was? Is, is yeah. Wasn't that about 2017? I mean, it's I, one of the funniest I, clips in the, in the world. So. I, think I mean, so. he, like to the point where he's like, this beer tastes like uh, dog shit and racism. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was really, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it took a national TV show to kind of wake everybody up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think like there's that, there's a thing where like when the getting's good, you don't really have to be like terribly self-aware, you know? Um, and I right. think that, you know, at that point, and maybe still to some degree, like the, the financial imperative like wasn't there it's change seems slow um what progress has the industry made and and what still needs to be done that's yeah. kind of a pretty broad question there. yeah that's huge i mean it's you're right right change is slow and i think it's necessarily true because what we're talking about is culture change you know and if uh, if culture change happens super fast it's it's probably not going to stick right um so i'm okay with slow as long as we're making like steady progress and i think you know, right now what we're doing is like building infrastructure. I think that's, you know, it's the approach I take. It's what the work I'm, you know, working on with the Brewers Association in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, a lot of people are like, what's some of the most important things that we did? I think, interestingly, one of the most important things we do at the Brewers Association is create data, right? Like we, you know, prior to that first kind of comprehensive data collection effort we did in 2018, it was always just a like crapshoot as, as far as understanding like who was in the industry or anecdotal information, right? Like now we have numbers, we're, we're doing benchmarking. And I think um, that's really important because in some ways, like it's a sign that we're taking it seriously, right? Like we can't, we're not content to work with like, anecdotal data. data. Um, the diversity inclusion grant, events grant program, 
at the BA has been a really great way to kind of um, use the resources of the Brewers Association to kind of um, empower those people who are in, you know, on the ground in other places. Um, and that's been awesome to see that all of the different types of events that we've been able to fund over the couple of years that that program's been working from, you know, Fresh Fest to Suave Fest to Dames and Drags to uh, Beer Culture Summit, Beers Without Beards, Female Beer Festival, right? Like um, tons of, of different events across the country that are bringing new people um, on the consumer side. And then this year we launched a mentorship program, which has just been like so awesome. It's, it's, um, it's been so fun to, to do that work, you know, matching folks in different places in the industry with, um, you know, existing people. I mean, last night when I was still stuck in Cleveland, I was on a hotel Zoom with like uh, six of our, six of our participants in the mentorship program. And like Jason Perkins is talking to us about recipe formulation at Allagash, right? And um, that's an awesome opportunity. I mean, I, like, I, it's awesome because I get to take advantage of it. Uh, but that's so helpful and interesting for, you know, folks who are either aspiring to get into the industry or already in, but looking to advance to have that kind of, um, right, structured mentoring because, you know, so many people I've talked to over the years have talked about how important um, uh, informal mentoring relationships have been, you know, and it's literally people on the phone like, oh, you know, don't do that because TTB is going to come get you or, oh, that's a crappy waste of money. Don't do that. You know, all those things can make or break folks and, um, you know, being able to build out those networks uh, for more people is, is important and exciting, but I think it's, it's quiet work, right? Like the, that's infrastructure building. And I always kind of compare it to a house. Um, what I want to do is work on the plumbing and the electrical system, right? Um, and I think people notice the interior design, they notice the furniture and the curtains, but like toilet doesn't work. Like no one's going to hang out there, right? It's, so you're, it's the unsexy stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. So you're putting all of the work in right now, right? Is what I'm hearing you say, you're building the infrastructure for the industry to more, to be more inclusive. Um, but I mean, are you seeing any signs, any needles move that the industry is actually, you know, ready for this moment and making progress because, you know, most of our listeners will know, and obviously, you know, Dr. J about the, um, the expose, if you will, earlier this year from Brienne Allen, where, you know, so many accounts of sexual harassment and, and other disinclusion were laid bare. Um, and I'm glad that she's shined a light on it, but I also have to ask, okay, is this going to happen again in a year or two? Because the people who said, oh my God, not in craft beer, they just must not have been paying attention at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is, the, I mean, this sounds, this is going to sound weird, but like that in itself is progress, right? Like that yeah. it got laid bare, that it was a story and that so many people responded in the way they did, because I think like, just like you're right, like, it's not like it's new, it's been happening all along, except the response in the past has been hard shrug, right, mm -hmm. and so the fact that, like, we're not hard shrugging anymore is a sign of progress, and I mean, you know, it, I think it's difficult for me sometimes, because I'm like, man, I remember going to festivals and stuff in, like, 2001, you know, and, like, gosh, I can't express how different it looks now, right, like, That's it is, right. Yeah. radically different. So I think, I think it's really hard because I think a lot of people who are coming into craft beer two, three, four, five years ago are like, what the hell? And they're not seeing a lot of progress. And I kind of want to be like, oh my gosh, let's walk back to 2000. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, and we'll take a look and you can see just how far 
we've come. That's not to say we don't have farther to go, mm -hmm. but I think it helps to have a longer eye and to like have a broader perspective um, because you realize that like you take a snapshot, it's going to look like stasis, right? Like, so you have to kind of connect the threads and right. um, yeah, we're, we're going to get there, you know, but like, even that it's a, it's a conversation that anyone is entertaining at this juncture is a really positive side. Yeah, no, that's great. I also have to ask, I mean, do you feel like you have to work twice as hard to include people of color in the industry as you do to include women? And not that those things should be mutually exclusive, but for example, and I don't think they mean any harm by it, but you'll look at some like women's beer groups and there's nary a person of color to be seen, right? So like, how do you combat that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that you combat it, but I think you, you have to, again, like there's an issue of broader awareness that's that's kind of going on there. And I think one of the things that I say out loud that I think a lot of people get a little taken aback is that like, can you still hear me? Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. My headphones just crapped out. So I'll see if I can go. You know, I, one of the things I tend to say is like craft beer is not special, right? Like it is a microcosm, right? Of the broader political, economic, social, political landscape of the U.S. So, you know, we're, we're just a, you know, beer shaped mirror for things that are going on more broadly. And uh, this, is, this is sacrilege that the beer industry <laughs> not, isn't somehow precious and special <laughs> and different. <laughs> right. We are not special. And um, we might be a little precious though. Um, but, you know, I <laughs> no think doubt. that, you know, that question, Jen, I think it, it depends on where you are, but like everything that I think systemically kind of affects people of color comes into play there. You know, there I live in Richmond, Virginia. There are neighborhoods here where you might have like a, two amazing bottle shops and two blocks away, you might have a neighborhood that it like never sees a craft brand anywhere, right? Like not in the sea stores, not anywhere else. And like, you're, you're not even gonna, it's not about like being priced out or anything, right? People spend money on what they wanna spend money on. It's really about exposure, right? Opportunity. And I'm kind of like, so I think there are just simply more barriers and more different types of barriers. Um, I think that, that certain populations are running into. And so, you know, I do think we have to work a little bit harder just because we have to like, be a little bit more proactive about seeing what those barriers could be um, and thinking about removing them. Yeah. Hey, Dr. J. I was Dr. wondering. Dr. J, this is, uh, this is our Dr. J. Yeah, this is Jay. We, no. we call him Dr. J in, internally. And uh, this is the first time they've ever called me. <laughs> but I was going to say, if, uh, if the real Dr. J needs headphones, our Dr. J has several oh, spares boy. he can ship you all the, head you do have an <laughs> all impressive the headphones in the world half of our yearly equipment budget goes to jordan's headphones the, no. even the dog doesn't have headphones now but uh okay go ahead jordan sorry yeah, Just had to give always, you little shit. always um no i was gonna ask you know in working with breweries um have you found that more breweries come to you um looking to prevent issues or you know after an issue has already happened yeah yeah i would say yeah. i think it's, <laughs> I was, it's gotta be both i yeah it's definitely both but i think sometimes i start working with people and like uh i only issues find out like later that they had an incident if that makes yeah. sense or maybe um, they didn't know they had a, had issues until you come in you're like 
And yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, you pr probably unsurprisingly, lots more recently than previous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, and then, and working with breweries, um, is there any like particular like course of action that you know, um, you see that is overlooked or lacking by most, and like something that often makes them say like, "Wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that," but that makes perfect sense you know something they that almost everyone can work on yeah yeah so okay so two two answers to that and it depends on whether you're acting proactively or reactively right okay let's say something does happen you effed it up and you're reacting right um i always tell people like four a's right um acknowledgement apology action atonement and what a lot of people do is try to skip those first two and go straight to the to three and four and i'm always like you know, I think that the hurdle is people are like, I don't want to accept fault. And that's what apology means to me. But I think you can express sympathy that someone has experienced harm. I think that's really important because like, like harm hurts whether you intended it or not. Right. Um, and I think I tell a lot of people you need to get out, you need to get out of your own way in terms of like being precious about your intentions. You know, um, the analogy I love to make is like, if you're going to say that, that, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is an important part of how you do business, right? Then compare it to something else like your quality program or your safety program or your sustainability program, right? And let's say um, you get a negative outcome in one of those other areas, right? Like you you brew a butter bomb or you have a slip and fall or burn in the brew house or right something along those lines, like nobody's going to give a rat's ass about your intentions, right? Like if, if your, if your beer is full of diacetyl, you're going to be like, well, I didn't mean for it to get, I didn't mean for this to happen. Like the outcome is what's important, right? Fixing the outcome. Do you dump it? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And I think that's, that's the outcome I want people to kind of think about taking is like, your intentions are lovely, but they, they kind of don't matter. Like you need to think about like what the outcomes are. You know? I think that's a really good point. And because that's it, it in my own journey, I, I went through that or, or, but my intentions, but what about my intentions? Well, nobody gives a shit about my intentions and it's, it is, it's the, it's the end result. And I think that is a, a really, that self-awareness is something that uh, like you, like you said, this is going to take time. If you want it to be sticky and to last, it's got to actually, people have to actually come to that conclusion themselves rather than just going through the motions. Am I hearing that? right yeah 100 100 percent. you know yeah. the second half of that jay is uh i think professionalizing the effort you know and and again we went through this with quality as an industry right like you hey you probably should throw a lab up in there and you know or you should you know start thinking about things like things like do and uh you know a cold supply chain and whatever right like you have to you have to be professional about it. And I think the same goes for this type of work. I could think there's a little bit of a presumption that like, you're like, okay, we just need to be like nicer, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, actually, it's not about being nicer, right? Like you can think about, right? Like formalizing this process. So writing it into like all of your professional documentation, doing di diagnosis and assessment work, right? What, what gets measured, what gets, is what gets managed. Um, you know, writing things into SOPs, right? Like um, you, you have SOPs for your safety, you have SOPs for your 
for your hot site production, you need SOPs for your hiring processes, for your uh, external comms, right? For your human resources, for everything that touches this. So, you know, realizing it's not like being a good gal or a good guy that's going to move the needle with this, but like, you know, adopting it as a matter of professional practice. As a follow-up to that, um, you know, I wonder, we say, you know, beer's not special, craft beer's not special. And I, you know, I get that totally. But I think it is a little special working in the alcohol industry, right? What happens when someone's excuse is, well, I drank too much, right? Like, how do you codify that not happening? Does that mean there's like maybe some people who just shouldn't work in the industry if that's going to be an issue for them? Or like, how do we deal with that? Yeah, I mean, we, this, it's, goes back to professionalization. Like I think for me, you know, I work in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, but more and more often I kind of connect that to both HR and to physical and mental wellness efforts, because I think it's hard to do any of those three things well, without kind of thinking about them holistically. And like, you know, I think this past spring, you know, this reckoning, it didn't just show us that there's residual issues in terms of of discrimination and bias and harassment, you know, based on, on gender identity, race identity, et cetera. But also that like, there is a kind of crisis of wellness, you know, in the industry. And I don't, and I say wellness very intentionally because I think what people immediately go to is like alcoholism, right? Like um, very problematic drinking. And I'm, I'm not saying that's not an issue, but I think overconsumption right? Especially in certain types of settings doesn't have to be right. You know, pathological doesn't have to be addictive drinking to be a dangerous influence in the industry. And so, um, yeah, I think I'm sure like there's a lot of industry-wide precautions that like people who work in textiles or mining or other right high risk, high threat environments have to kind of combat, um, harm to, harm to people, harm to environment. And I think that's kind of where we need to be, right? This industry does attract alcoholics um, or, or creates alcoholics. So, you know, one of the problems is in a lot of positions, you got to be there and work the off-premise in the mornings and then, and then work the on-premise in the evenings. So you have to be a functioning alcoholic. And, and yeah, um, I mean, that, that's why the divorce rate, I think, is so high, regardless of where you stand in the industry. And it, yet another layer of problems to address, but that's not, yeah, that's for someone else. We, we got to focus, but you're right. Mental health is a big issue in our industry and uh, another thing to tackle, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for me, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I try to keep it simple when I can. uh, And I think what I've been boiling down to lately is that like, you know, as an industry, we like pivoted on quality. Right. Like we were like, we have to get serious as an industry because like somebody's crappy beer is bad for all of us. You know, um, we pivoted on sustainability, right? Um, we're pivot, you know, pivoting on safety. We're not doing quite as well as you know, some of the bigger brewers are, but like we're getting there, right? Taking safety seriously. And I just think thriving human beings is like the next major cornerstone that like we need an industry-wide pivot on. And for all that encompasses part of the work I do, part of the work, you know, my colleagues in the, you know, craft beer HR group do, um, people who are doing, you know, picking up the torch and running with physical and mental wellness, you know, like, I think that's, that's going to be our next kind of 
stepstone of like maturation as an industry, right? And I think it's not just about making sure people don't get hurt. I really do believe it's like making sure that this industry is around, right? For for a while, I think it's about like a, a sustainable industry. Yeah, um, it it is. It's existential because you know, like I said, all the Mumford and Fun and Sons that crowd we've already reached all of them there's nobody else and we can see it in the flattening of the curve and on craft we they're, they're, we've reached all the the those weird white guys we get we have to reach the rest of the country yeah I mean, there's from a consumption um, standpoint and the way to do that is to start in the in, within the industry to yeah. reflect the general public i mean uh, distributors are better at that honestly think- because they hire based on their market Right. right. They, they, they want people in the market that's reflective of the communities that they're in. Whereas craft brewers, they're more internal. They mm-hmm. hire people that look like them and that are friends and family. And I think that's kind of how, why it was so insular. Uh, here I am trying to be an anthropologist. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I have an undergraduate oh, degree in economics, Dr. J. So you can see how qualified I am. Um, no, but you, you raised <laughs> such a good point, you know, and something that, uh, that Garrett Oliver recently said, you know, he, he was talking about kind of standing on the wings, um, you know, being Garrett, watching the kind of hard turn towards um, seltzer and other types of, you know, malt beverage and um, saying that he's, he's got a lot of like ambivalence about that turn. And it's not like just as like, you know, Garrett beer guy, but I think what he looks at is like, like we don't have to chase the novelty dragon um, to try to like sell the same people a new thing. Like we could just sell beer to all the people who are not drinking beer right now. Um, and a way you can kind of read that is like, you know, we'd rather we'd rather turn to the like crazy market of beyond beer products where let's face it, right? Like we have almost no share compared to like the white claws and truly's of the world. Um, rather than just saying like, oh, there's a giant market segment right here in my neighborhood that we've traditionally, right, not served, rather than just saying like, let's just sell our beer to like more people, right? Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. I mean, the, the Latinx and African-American communities alone are completely under-indexed and untapped. And well, um, one of, uh, we've run, we've run past time, but one of the things I wanted to leave you with, Dr. J, is, um, before we got on the call, uh, I just wanted to you know, like do a little research on you to make sure I was up to speed. And sure. of course, you you kicked me off of Twitter, so I couldn't go that route. So I looked on. The- <laughs> he never cares when I blog him from Twitter, Doctor J. I, so. <laughs> never, uh, I just get a new account, Jen. I'll I'll get a new account. I will troll you, Jen, on Twitter. Oh, so don't and so don't front. But no, I, I found you on LinkedIn, and and I read an article that actually touched me and. Um, it was an article you wrote several years ago, which, which I find it fascinating that you're a f- pro football fan. You just don't seem like that. And that's the thing. You can't pigeonhole people. Yeah. Uh, everybody has got so many interests and, and you're uh, a Washington fan and you talked about your, your grandmother and yeah. how she didn't really, she didn't give a shit about politics or any of that, but don't use her. And, and, and why are we fighting about the name of a damn football team it was it really moved me it's a great article uh if you haven't checked it out folks uh check it out on dr j's linkedin um and it's funny because you wrote that story before there that was they even uh changed their name to nothing right yeah yeah well before well so they before. chose to choose 
and that's another thing where it's like where our intentions we don't but come on red yeah. skin come on yeah Good lord even biscuits look biscuits you can tell is offended as shit look at her she can't. Uh, she's like i'm over it she, she is totally over it well thank you dr j i know you're very busy for being on we're uh look for this uh, probably early next week on uh, on uh, beernetradio.com where you'll find our podcast and um and thank you for drinking beer because uh listen it it pays for her dog food and it pays for for jordan's uh many sets of earphones um, <laughs> you're welcome jordan <laughs> all right thank any you. parting thank words you. for our listeners any parting words hope um yeah no um well, you know, since you brought it up, you know, I I will say to, to the the people who <laughs> noticed that I'm off of Twitter and miss my like weekend um, all caps football rants because that's usually what I did like both on Saturday and Sunday. I loved um, it. You know, it. Uh, you know. So sorry, but like, please know that it's still it still carries on in a just in a non Twitter <laughs> format. So, well, your mental health is important. And if Twitter yeah. wasn't uh, conducive to that, I, I've, I have vastly reduced my social media presence, much to the delight of my associates, friends and family. <laughs> um, <laughs> me, I still want to get on it. My feet, my fingers itch all the time. Yeah, it's it was a it was an interesting transition, but after a while, I was yeah. like, oh, okay, okay. I find myself fighting with Michael Kaiser, and I'm like, I like Michael Kaiser. Why are we fighting? <laughs> you know, we we're both on the same page mostly. Just oh, uh, anyway, well, thanks for being on, Dr. J. And uh, thanks, Dr. J. We'll, uh, we'll have you Thank on you again so in, much. A, in a, a few months or so if you're game. Yeah, awesome. All right, take care. Have a good week. Cheers. Take care, y'all. Bye bye.